Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Sweater weather. Oh, perfect. We need the amplification on sweater weather for sure. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. I came outside this morning and I was like, oh, Christmas has arrived, which I know that that's probably not what it means, but that's what it means to me. Um, we've been going, if you're new here, we've been going through a series called Seek First. We've been talking about what it would look like to prioritize in our lives following the way of Jesus, how to seek first the kingdom of God. And I think that idea of seeking first the kingdom of God, it can be kind of nebulous and weird and churchy. So we've been trying to break it down each week into finding these distinct cultural elements that are both in this kingdom, the kingdom we live in in America in 2023. What what is that culture like? What makes it distinct? And how does it compare to some element of the culture in the kingdom of God? And how can we prioritize moving towards that element in the culture of the kingdom of God? So today... I get to talk about the elements of fragmentation and separation and this kind of polarization that happens in the culture in America in 2023 and compare it to this integrated way of living that we see in the kingdom of God. We're going to be talking about not seeking a fragmented life and instead seeking after integrated living, right? When we look at the world around us in 2023, we see a very fragmented world. I had a bunch of examples on this and I was like, you probably don't need a bunch of examples because... You know, it's pretty obvious how we're fragmented. Fragmentation, just so you can get your heads around the definition, it's the process or state of breaking or being broken into small or separate parts. And I actually love how this term is used in computing. It's the storing of a file in separate areas of memory scattered throughout a hard disk. I like that. It's like this visual in America. You've got America. It's a room. It's got all the things in it, all the people in it, all the places in it, all the beliefs in it, all the values in it, all the different money in it. And and fragmentation is that we take all those things and we we group them, we categorize them. Here's something that's the same, let's put it in this box. And then let's put that in this box and that in this box. And then when it's fragmented, there's no communication. There's no connection between the boxes. So the people in this box are not getting information from the people in this box about how the world works or what they've learned through their experiences. Obviously, the clearest example for this is probably politics. Right, we've got some people in this box and some people in this box, and it's become clearer and clearer over the past 10 years that there's less and less connection. There's less and less learning from one another's experiences. There's less and less seeking to understand what this box has to share 
in this box and vice versa, right? That's the polarization, it's the fragmentation. It hap happens economically. We have more and more fragmentation. There's one box that has all the money and one box that has no money and then another box that has some money, right? And we don't really move in between. We stay in the box that we were given to. And it's not just economic, money, politics. It's pretty much every element of our lives, right? You would think in a time where we're so connected, we have the internet, I can know at any moment what's going on all around the world, that I would have access to all the boxes because of that. But what actually happens is that in my box, I get news that's catered to me. I hear about the information that this box needs to hear about, and this box hears about information that caters to them. It's the same way with entertainment, right? If I showed you guys my TikTok algorithm, which I'm not going to do, uh, I bet, even though I'm on the same app as Katie, Katie's on TikTok, sorry to disclose, Katie's on TikTok, we are on the same app, but our feeds, even on the same app, are totally different. I can be scrolling through my TikTok, and everybody around the world is talking about the exact same thing. And I come in to our staff meeting on Wednesday, and if I ask Katie about what's going on with that thing, can you believe everyone's talking about it? She doesn't even know what I'm talking about, right? So like, example, who in here knows who Ruby Frankie is? Oh, wow. Okay, we are on different TikTok algorithms because that is all that's happening in my news cycle is Eight Passengers and Ruby Frankie, right? That's what's on my TikTok feed, and I feel like everyone in the world is talking about this news story when really it's just the people who are in this box. And there's less and less connectedness between the boxes. And because of that, you and I, we have this challenge as human beings. We wake up in the morning and we are asked to move between different boxes that are totally fragmented, that are totally polarized. Sometimes we go to our Thanksgiving meal in our small town Texas with our Aunt Bertha, and that's one box. And, and we understand it, we feel like we belong there because we grew up there. And then we come to our downtown office in Austin, Texas with a very different value system, grid way of talking than Aunt Bertha. And we also belong here. We feel that. And that's really hard on the brain. That transition is really hard on the brain. I did my um, master's in cultural psychology, basically ways like different cultural spaces that we move in and out affect our mental health. And so I know that this external fragmentation, a society that has this fragmentation and polarization, it leads to internal fragmentation. External fragmentation leads to internal fragmentation. It does something to our brains and our concept of self. There's two different ways that we experience fragmentation as human beings when we are in a polarized society. The first option is that we compartmentalize. We're moving between Aunt Bertha and this downtown Austin office, and so what happens is our self-concept compromises several or perhaps many distinct identities, each associated with a different context, such as work, family, and recreational lives. The compartmentalization configuration allows an individual to endorse multiple identities, but they are kept separate from each other. This is a lot of like psychology speak, but basically, in the same way that Aunt Bertha stays over here, and my Coworkers in downtown Austin stay over here in the same way they don't move in between spaces. Now myself doesn't move in between spaces. So a part of me that shows up in this space stays in that space. And then a part of me, very real, they're both authentic, splits and stays in this space. And the problem is just like downtown Austin isn't learning from Aunt Bertha and Aunt Bertha isn't learning from downtown Austin, now myself doesn't have information it doesn't have access to the information that this other part of myself has over here. I've fragmented. I've put myself in little boxes, okay? I've compartmentalized my life. And in doing so, I've compartmentalized myself. Uh, the other option, some people may not fragment in that way, they may fragment by detaching. 
This configuration implies identifying with one cultural group, seeing one identity as predominant, and excluding other identities from the self. So this, in my hypothetical example, I don't have an Aunt Bertha. Uh, I didn't grow up in small town Texas. But Aunt Bertha, right? I grew up in the woodlands, kind of small town. Aunt Bertha, she's over here. This is her choice. This is the choice she's made. She moves throughout her day. She goes to the grocery store. She feels like her whole self is there. She goes to have dinner with her family, exact same self. Not a different part of her personality, same self. She turns on the news, same self. She goes to watch a movie or something in her small town, same self. And Aunt Bertha would tell you she's super integrated, that the same parts of her move throughout her entire day. But that's only because Aunt Bertha, she feels like she's always bringing her full self to the group because she never changes group, right? She's always in the same group. It may look different, it may be at the grocery store, it may be at the dinner table, but it's actually the same group. Compartmentalization, it helps us with this horrible feeling that's called dissonance that happens when we have conflicting parts of us, conflicting values. And one way to manage that sensation is to box yourself up. And, and so that way, when you're transitioning, you can kind of compartmentalize to help you move between groups. But one thing that will help you even more than that is not moving between groups. Just stay in this one spot, in this one group with people who think the same and have the same information, the same, they're all in the same box, and that will help you with that dissonance. And I think we do both of these things in the church when it comes to God stuff, right? It's like for Christians, we've got two different boxes. We've got God stuff box and life stuff box. And compartmentalization is like we've got these two different boxes and we just sort things like, you know, spiritual or secular, right? And things go in these different boxes and we've got the part of us that connects with God stuff and we've got the part of us that shows up at happy hour with our friends that doesn't connect with God stuff and that goes in life stuff box. And we just kind of go through and sort our lives this way. So we've got friends who go in the church stuff box, and we've got friends who go in the life stuff box, right? Sometimes friends who live in the life stuff box, you can move them to the God stuff box. If they start talking about God, then you get excited and they get to go in the God stuff box, right? And you can shift, oh, this conversation that I thought was going to be life stuff is now God stuff. And we do it with the church, right? The church, the whole idea of church goes in the God stuff box. And, and, and it can do that because what we mean by church is a thing that can be compartmentalized. We mean this. We mean church on a Sunday morning or maybe our Bible study or maybe we mean our affiliation with a specific 501c3 in Austin, Texas, like the Vine. That's what we mean by church. That idea would have been so wild to the early church right after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. They understood church to be this concept of the people of God. Wherever they are, interconnected, following Jesus, that is what the church is. And it was really hard for them to follow Jesus, so they used to have these kind of like reunions and get-togethers once a week if they could, once a month if they could. And in that time, they would sing songs to God together and they would pray together. And that meeting enabled them to keep living out what it means to be the church. But for us, we've just reduced it down to the meeting so that we can put it in the God stuff box. And just to get your heads around how wild that is, I have long COVID. It would be like if one of you came up to me after the service and was like, what does it mean that you have long COVID? And I answered with, oh, I'm in a Facebook group that supports people in long COVID. And we get together on Zoom calls every now and then. We share information. It's really great. You should join, right? That is not what it means to have long COVID. Long COVID is something that impacts every box I go into. And I have this one box over here that helps support me in that. 
that's a community of people who are all experiencing that. We have a shared sameness, and, and then that comes with me in every space I go into. That's how we talk about the church. We talk about it like it's this thing that can be fragmented. And for those of us who do this compartmentalization, who have like God's stuff box and livestock box, we also do this with ourselves, right? We have parts of ourselves that are spiritual and parts of ourselves that are secular. Not necessarily bad, just God's not really involved in them. We've got this part of our personality that God's in and this part that he's not. We've got these needs that God's involved in and these needs that he's not, right? We've got these emotions that God's involved in and these emotions that he doesn't care about, right? This, I, my, I do this with my body specifically. For some reason, spiritual things to me include emotions. So like if I've had a day where I'm super sad, my instinct is like bring that to God and pray through it. But if I have a day where my heart rate is too high because of long COVID or I'm having a lot of skipped beats, it does not even cross my mind. I'm not like anti-praying to God about it, but I don't even think about it. You know why? Because body, for me, is stored over here. It's stored with doctors and things like that, and God's not really involved. We were in a staff meeting a few weeks ago, and Ron Ragsdale, who's on our leadership team, uh, I was having a really hard long COVID week, and I just kind of had a mini meltdown about it. And Ron was like, let me pray for that. And he prayed over me, and it was so wonderful. And the thing that really struck me is I hadn't even thought about it. I work for a church. I hadn't even thought about it, not because I don't believe that, like not because I don't believe that God's involved, but I hadn't thought about it because it's stored in my brain in a separate file. And there isn't interconnectedness. So my brain didn't notice, oh, you can invite God into this because God is in this box. God stays over here. He's in the God box, right? And for some of us, we don't relate to this compartmentalization. Maybe if you've been really intensely involved with church, you might relate to the second kind of fragmentation, which is detachment, right? If, if compartmentalization is we've got God box, life box, then detachment is we've got our God stuff box, and then we've got our, we go through our life box and we sort everything out, and it can either get thrown away, it's not relevant, we don't need it, or if we can repurpose it into God stuff, then it can stay, right? So we kind of sort through our lives in this way. We, we sort through our friends. Do we need to reject those friends? Do we move, need to move away from them because they aren't God stuff? Or could we turn this friendship into our evangelism opportunity and then this person becomes valuable to us in so much as they might one day end up in our God stuff box, right? There are obviously extreme examples of how this detachment looks, right? There's boxes around our country of people who have totally withdrawn from anything that isn't explicitly God stuff. They don't want their kids to go to school with anyone who isn't a Christian. They don't want them to go to college. They don't want to interact. They don't have any friends or relationships with people who don't share their specific worldview, right? I even on my TikTok algorithm last night as I'm scrolling before bed, which I never do, but always do, I, uh, one of the things that came up in my feed as if the phone listens to you, which I think it does, was a Christian version of Cha-Cha Slide do you guys know that song? I was going to try to save the clip, but I thought, we don't need to see that. But basically, they've changed the lyrics of this secular song so that they can put it in God stuff box and not feel weird about it, right? For me, I think I did this a lot, this detachment thing, but it looked a little different. I basically had this one identity, right, this one part of my life, God stuff, that made everything else sort of not irrelevant, but useful only in so much as it was useful for God stuff. So I was working in a church for a long, long time, you know, and I would have relationships with people outside of church, but it was definitely for the purpose of one day they might end up in here. 
And these people in God's stuff, they were really my people. These people out here, they couldn't really understand or connect with me. They were a means to an end. They were potential projects that could one day be in that God stuff box, right? I would move through my life like this, and certain areas of my life had to go because of that. Like, I love to write YA fiction, but that's not God stuff. Unless you can make the story like a metaphor for the gospel, which I tried and did that, but I didn't know how to just, like, write the YA fiction that's in my head about princesses and dragons. I was always trying to find that, like, gospel theme that will make this okay to spend my time on and okay to spend my life on. Because otherwise, it's not really relevant. If it's not God stuff, it, it doesn't really matter. And I did this myself as well, right? In the same way we fragment our society, we fragment ourselves. So I would sort through who I am as a person. And there are parts as I'm going through that life stuff box that get thrown away parts that are no longer relevant. For many of us in the church, this is our bodies. The information they give us is no longer relevant to us. We don't listen to it. It doesn't impact our lives. And as a result, we're very disconnected and detached from our bodies, right? And many of us do this with our emotions. Maybe you have some emotions that can go in God's stuff, but some can't go in God's stuff, like anger. That can't go in God's stuff box. So it has to get thrown away altogether, and you kind of lock your anger away And over time, you stop receiving the information that that emotion wants to give you. You're no longer connected. You're no longer attached to that part of yourself. Or you have parts of yourself that you think are bad, that need to be put to death, right? That's biblical in theory. You take yourself out and you put all the parts of you on a table and you figure out which ones need to die, right? This is what we do. Or you repurpose, right? I did that, a lot of repurposing with emotions. Emotions are always about what they're telling you you don't trust about God. That's how I perceived it. So it couldn't be that your anxiety is because there's a potential threat. It has to be that your anxiety is because you don't trust Jesus. It it couldn't be that your elevated heart rate is because you have long COVID. It must be because you don't trust Jesus, right? Everything became God stuff. There was no longer any life stuff box for me. So we do these two things. We fragment through the detaching and compartmentalization. And uh, Mark, as we've been going through the series has been talking about how this way of the the kingdom of this world is the broad path of destruction. And this way of Jesus, this way of the kingdom of God, where, where Jesus rules and we walk towards that lordship, this is the narrow road that leads to life. And those are like super churchy, loaded language phrases, right? But but when I've been thinking about this fragmented life, it's easy for me to see that it is the broad road to destruction. Right? It's broad in that it's easy, in that this is what your brain wants to do to cope with a polarized society. It's the easiest thing. It minimizes the sense of dissonance that you have. It Im- impacts and amplifies your sense of belonging, your feeling that maybe you belong. When you have that sameness, there's less conflict in relationships because everyone agrees to begin with. It's easy. It's, it's the road the culture is going to encourage you to take. It's the road your brain wants to take. It's the easiest thing to do. It's broad, and it leads to destruction. And I know those are big, heavy words. Those are the words you use in this box in church on Sunday. But if I was saying this on Tuesday morning to a different demographic that I work with, how I would say it is, the research suggests that people who live fragmented selves and fragmented lives have very negative mental health outcomes. That's how I would say it in a different space with a different self. Uh, This is from a research group in Europe. People who lack integration, wholeness, and alignment are at war with themselves. 
their physical and emotional health suffers as a consequence, as does the environment through which they endeavor to compensate for such inadequacies. It's bad for us, and it's bad for the world around us. It's bad for us in that it has negative impacts on our ability to regulate our emotion, to connect with other people, to empathize in any real way, to view ourselves in a healthy way. When you have this fragmented self, then, then what happens is when I'm in this space in downtown Austin and there's a part of me left over here with Aunt Bertha, it's like myself can sense that I'm not quite stable because I don't have access to the experiences and the information that I learned over here. And because of that, I show up in this space in a way that is insecure, right? I become insecure and that impacts my relationships as well. And I love the way this quote says it. People who lack integration are at war with themselves. That's very churchy language for a non-churchy organization, but I think it's an accurate description. I work part-time as a counselor. I meet with people all the time who are literally at war with themselves, who come to see me because they want me to kill parts of them. They want to stop being sad. They want to not feel anger ever again. I work with people all the time who hate their bodies, like hate them. This part of themselves they are at war with and they spend all their energy all day thinking about how to cut off parts of their body. Parts of their body that have formed and, and stay around to help us survive, right? We are at war with ourselves and that impacts us on every level, psychologically, emotionally, and even biologically. It impacts the way our bodies respond to things when we are at war with them. Right? And it also impacts the culture, right? Just in the same way that in our little circle we saw that fragmentation in society is going to lead to fragmentation in self, fragmentation in self is also going to lead to fragmentation in society. Because of that insecurity we feel, then what happens when we move into a group is if there's diversity of opinion, we are less able to handle that, we're less able to empathize, we come in more insecure, and because of that, our brain's like, you know what, just, let's just get the people out of here who disagree, then I don't have to tolerate that sensation of dissonance, and I don't have to feel maybe I might be wrong, and I can just make my group a little smaller, make sure it's people who think exactly like I do. And that's how we end up in a fragmented culture. That's how we end up with one political box over here and one over here and no learning, no interconnectedness, no communication. But there's another way, good news, there's another way than this fragmentation. There's a way that's integration. Your brain and research shows has three ways to respond to this polarization. It's got those first two kinds of fragmentation. It's got, you know, that compartmentalization or that detachment. And then it has a third option, a third way, integration. The third configuration, integration, is when multiple identities are organized within the self to be equally essential and form one coherent super identity. The differences are seen as complementary and enriching to oneself. Again, a lot of psychology talk. The things I want us to notice is, is, is these differences. In, in, in one of these options, compartmentalization, we split the differences. We keep this over here and this over here. So we do have differences, but they're never together. And then in Aunt Bertha's version, the detachment version, we, we don't have any differences. It's all the same. That feels like integration, but it's not because integration is different parts coming together and the way they fit together, each one being equally essential, the way they fit together creates more than just the sum of the parts, it creates a new whole, a new kind of coherent identity, right? A new version of us. I love the way Jesus describes the kingdom of God in our scripture today. He says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast 
that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. I love this illustration. Baking is wild. I think depending on which box you live in in America, you could call baking chemistry or witchcraft. I really think it's a crazy thing. So when you bake, you start with these ingredients. Um, and the picture of these ingredients, if you have it, is fragmentation. Okay, so that's fragmentation. Right? All the different parts are there. They're on the table, but they're separated. We tend to think of integration as this next slide. All the pieces are mixed together. But that's not integration. Integration is when all the pieces are mixed together and each one is allowed to do the thing that it was designed to do and, and at its fullness, when they all work together, when they integrate, you have bread, right? That's how it works. That's what integration is. It's each part coming together. Uh, it makes me I, sad, I guess. It's funny sad kind of thing that if I was to rewind 10 years in my life and I was teaching the same lesson without the cultural psychology part, I would have explained integration or integrated living this picture of the kingdom of God, I would have explained it as that second kind of fragmentation. So let's throw up our definitions of fragmentation again. This detachment, of course I know now not to do that because it's labeled detachment, but I would have pitched this as Christianity. You have one identity that's predominant. The person I am over here in the church this is who I really am. And all the other parts of me, they're, they're not really relevant. They, they don't really matter. This is who I truly am, is the person I am in the church of Jesus Christ, in the family of God. And now, to be integrated means I take this part of my personality into every space I walk into. And I would have tried to convince people to, to essentially make every box you go into God stuff. Just turn the conversation to God, make it about God. But that's so different than how I now understand integration and integrated living and integrated identity. This identity that we have in Christ, it's not just who you are in here on Sunday. It's not just who you are when you're reading the Bible. It's also who you are when you're at happy hour with your friends. And it's also who you are when you're sitting at the table writing YA fiction. The identity you have in Christ, it doesn't leave any part of you behind. It brings every single part of you, even the parts you don't want there, to the table. And, and then it, it isn't even just the sum of all those parts, right? It's those parts with a little drop of the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus. And it's the way that those parts interact together when the kingdom of God is in their midst, right? It's, it's all the different pieces of me, the pieces that I love, that I show up at church on Sunday, the pieces that I like okay but don't know what to do with, that right way of fiction, and the pieces of me that I do not like at all, that I am at war with. It's all those pieces sitting at that table with Jesus under his lordship. And maybe that word might be hard for some of us, so think about it this way. It's under his care and his cultivation and his love and his willingness to sit with every single part and hear their story. And if they're tangled and twisted, his willingness to heal. Your integrated self is all of you brought together under the care and the cultivation of Jesus. And, and this is how we don't fragment ourselves is when this happens, when we're brought together under the care and cultivation of Jesus. You've all got that part in you that's like um, Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? He's the wee little man. And he, he's a tax collector. He is shame, shameful to the people of Israel. He's turned his backs on them. He's a traitor. He doesn't deserve to be in the presence of Jesus in most people's minds. And there's this day when Jesus is passing through the town and the crowd is so thick around Jesus. 
Zacchaeus isn't even going to try to get to him anyway because he doesn't have the right to be there. He doesn't deserve to be there. He's doing the wrong thing. So he climbs up a tree so that he can see Jesus over the crowd. And Jesus, with all these people around him, all these parts that love him, that want to be with him, that, that are doing all the right things, that are following the law, that are honoring the people of God, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I must come and eat with you today. And that moment, that restoration of dignity of seeing this part of society that's so fragmented, that doesn't deserve to be in the presence of God, and Jesus saying to it, I'm going to come, I see you, I love you, I'm going to come and be with you and eat with you, I'm going to give you that honor and that dignity, and it changes Zacchaeus. Maybe it returns Zacchaeus, restores him to who he's truly supposed to be before he got fragmented and pushed out and had to start stealing things that he wanted to have given freely in abundance, right? It's the same with us. There are parts of you that you've locked in the basement because they, they do bad things, they're twisty. And maybe it doesn't feel safe enough yet to unlock that door and let them out, but Jesus can go down to them and sit with them and eat them and eat with them, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to integrate yourself. He wants to bring that part back out and heal them and all of your parts to work together, everyone equally valuable, even if they disagree, even if sometimes they say things that aren't helpful, right? It's what we try to cultivate in this church. It's the third way, right? We talk about how we want to come into this space and have the elements, the fruit of the spirit, the kingdom of God be what we feel in here. And even if we disagree, even if we're different places, that we treat each other with love and honor and acceptance and belonging, it's cultivating that internally. It's an internal culture of third wayness when some part of you says something that you're like, that's wrong and you're gonna lead me astray. Inviting it to sit at the table with Jesus and Jesus wanting to lean in and hear their story, hear why they feel that way, hear why they're afraid, and heal, and all those parts being equally treasured and brought together. And just like this fragmentation of self is the broad road to destruction, this integrated self, it is the narrow path that leads to life. It's narrow in that it's hard. It's really hard. It takes a lot of internal dissonance to face things in you that you're scared of, that you wish weren't there. It takes a lot of internal faith to trust that Jesus is not afraid of any part of you, that he doesn't need anything from you, that there's nothing to earn and there's nothing to repay, and he just wants to heal and love and bring the kingdom of God inside of your heart. It's narrow in that it's hard, and it leads to life. It leads to life. And, and that's the way we'll say it in here because of Jesus' language, but again, if I was in a different room on Tuesday, then I would say this as it has positive mental health outcomes. It really does. If you went today and you were like, I'm going to go see a therapist. I want a non-Christian, not affiliated with the Bible in any way therapist. They're going to have an approach to therapy. They're going to have a technique they use. And likely, it's going to be one of these. And I actually had to cut this list because I couldn't fit them all on the page. There's about 25 different approaches to therapy that all have the same theme that you create a space inside of you that's kind and understanding rather than harshly critical, that, that has grace for you when you make mistakes, that has this integration, this awareness of who you are and helping you integrate all these conflicting aspects of your identity so that you can achieve harmony and self-compassion, so that you can create a space inside of you that has integration of diverse experiences into a place of love and connectedness and belonging inside of you. They're describing the kingdom of God. And I tell you what, these scientists who came up with these psychological theories, they didn't pick them because they were like, oh, you know what? The kingdom of God leads to life. 
let's make a therapy around what it would look like if the kingdom of God reigned inside of you, if the lordship of Jesus and the world that he wants was inside of you. They didn't do that. They picked them because they work. They picked them because they lead to life for their clients. They lead to healing because the kingdom of God, church talk, God talk, we can compartmentalize it to here on a Sunday, but the kingdom of God will not be compartmentalized. It goes and plays with scientists and psychologists. It won't be owned by us and it won't be controlled by us. And where the kingdom of God is, life comes, right? And, and the research also supports that this kind of internal integration with love and kindness and belonging internally, it leads to better society, to integrated society. People who have this sense inside of them of wholeness, of alignment, of valuing each part of them and listening to all their faculties, when they move into a space, research shows they're able to tolerate diversity of thinking. They're able to have tolerance for dissonance. Their brains don't reject it. They actually kind of enjoy the sensation of leaning in with curiosity and compassion. People who are whole internally are able to do that, and the results are a more diverse society, increased rates of empathy, lower rates of racism. This whole living, this taking of your whole self, your kingdom of God self, every part of you infected and mixed with the kingdom of God, it won't stay inside of you. It is going to spill out into your whole life. If you integrate your boxes, right, if you take this self, full self, into every space, wherever you go, then you're gonna get the kingdom of God wherever you go because it won't be contained, right? It won't be fragmented. Let's listen again to what Jesus says. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. I know that once you add something to like flour and stuff, you can't get it back. I know that because I was making banana bread and I added too much salt and too much sugar, and then I was left with this mixture, and I was like, how am I gonna get that salt out of there? How am I gonna get that sugar out of there? And you can't, it doesn't work like that. I think that's how the kingdom of God is. Like once you put a dab of it in, you can't get it back. You can't contain it, you can't fragment it. You can't keep it here on a Sunday morning. You can keep church here, church here on a Sunday morning, but you can't keep the kingdom of God here on a Sunday morning if it's in you, it will continue to spread. And I love in this verse, uh, I missed it the first few times, but he, the yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour, that's a lot of flour. Why would Jesus say it this way, that you mixed into 60 pounds of flour? One woman took yeast and mixed into 60 pounds of flour, and I Googled, I don't know how reliable it is, I'm not a baker, but Googled how much yeast you would need for 60 pounds of flour. It's one teaspoon to a pound, so basically you need one, just over a cup, cup and a quarter, of yeast for 60 pounds of flour. Why would Jesus say it like that if not to emphasize the power of the kingdom of God, the abundance of the kingdom of God, the spreadability of the kingdom of God? One woman with one cup of yeast made enough food to feed hundreds of people. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It won't stay here on a Sunday morning. If you drop it into your heart, it won't stay inside of you. It will spread out into your life. 
when you feel whole and integrated, when all the parts of you are welcome and wanted, when you listen to your body and your emotions and your mind and you know how to, how to bring them all under the lordship, the guidance, the care, the cultivation, the love, the gentleness of Jesus, then I promise you, you take that self into any relationship and it's going to spread. It's going to show up when you talk to your kids at dinner about anything. Not God stuff, but about how their day went. It's going to spill out of you. And it's going to spill out of your kids when they talk to themselves, when they learn how to, how to talk to themselves. Not necessarily a Bible verse, right, maybe, but also just the love and the gentleness and the tone with which they talk to themselves. And that's going to spill out in how they talk to their friends, their playmates at school. And that's going to spill out into how their playmates talk to their parents. It can't be contained. People who feel loved, who feel safe, who feel that every part of them is, is ready and able to get healing when it needs it, that spreads. It can't be contained. And that kingdom of God is going to be there. It'll be there in conversations you have about Jesus and conversations you have about Ruby Frankie or your TikTok algorithm. Because it's, it's not compartmentalized. It's not kept in a box. It's a tone. It's the fruit of the spirit, right? Patience and peace and gentleness and, and love. All those things are all going to spill out of you. They're going to be with me on Wednesday at 10 a.m. when I sit down and have a conversation with our church staff about churchy things. The kingdom of God is going to be there. And at noon, when I meet with a YouTube client to talk about social media stats, the kingdom of God is going to be there. Not because I try to turn the conversation to things about God, but because I am living an integrated life where the fullness of who I am, every part of me, is under the lordship of Jesus, is cared for, is loved, and that will spill out into those conversations. That's, I think, what it means to live an integrated life in the kingdom of God. That's the culture we can move towards. What I want us to do with our last few minutes here is just, we like to sometimes facilitate a meditative or prayer experience at the end of services, so you guys can come up and uh, let's go ahead and do this. Bow your head if that helps you, close your eyes. Whatever you need to do to help you kind of reflect internally before you leave here today. First thing I want you to do is picture a place on the earth that's like the most beautiful place you can think of. Visualize what it looks like, what the air feels like, what it smells like, any sounds in that space. And I want you to imagine your version of like a banquet table, whatever that means to you. Maybe it's like an old wooden table, maybe it's sitting on a picnic blanket. Maybe it's like Hogwarts, huge feast table. Picture your best version of that that you can think of. Now I just want you to imagine Jesus standing there as the host, so excited to have dinner with all the parts of you. He's not giving a sermon tonight. He doesn't have any lectures. He's there to listen. He just wants to hear the story of your life as told by every different part of you. And as you hear Jesus say, come, any who are thirsty, any who are hungry, come, and I will give you food, I just want you to notice who comes to that table. What parts of you are scared to come to that table? What 
parts of you are scared to let another part come to that table. What parts of you don't deserve to be at that table? Find the part that's hiding the most, that's the most scared, that's the most ashamed, that's judged by the other parts. If, they, if they'll show themselves to you, it may take time. Imagine Jesus getting up from that table and going to meet them at the door, hugging them, lifting their head. I must eat with you today. Imagine taking that part to the position of power at that table, the most prestigious seat. Heart might be scared to talk at first, but imagine Jesus just leaning in, just listening ready to hear anything they want to say. I want you to try, if you can, to make a promise to that part today that you will invite them to this table, that you will let them speak with Jesus, that you will let them come to the throne of grace, that you will let them find healing. Father, we have created war inside ourselves. We have planted seeds of hostility and bitterness and hatred. We want to see your kingdom come all around us, but Lord, may it come inside of our hearts. May our minds and souls and bodies feel like your lordship, like you get to decide how we talk to ourselves, like you get to decide how we listen to ourselves. We do it in the way of Jesus. And I pray that just like that one woman was able to feed hundreds of people, that, that if one person in this room, one person at the Vine Austin is able to integrate internally to wholeness and alignment in your kingdom of God, that that could spill out and change the city, that it could bring restoration and healing and wholeness and interconnectedness, and the kingdom of God could flourish here, that our city could be known as a city that is welcoming and accepting and diverse, where different parts and different people come together to listen and share and love. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.